And we'll get into the Word. And today we're going to be focusing mostly on Matthew chapter 7. So I'm going to have a few other verses, but that's really our core verse today. So this is the beginning, close to the beginning of chapter 7 of Matthew, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus preaches this sermon, and I always find it... uh, I always found it interesting. I heard the story of a pastor one time put up on the put up on the billboard, and he announced for weeks that on so and so day he was going to get up and preach the best sermon ever preached. And some people were like, "Wow, that sounds really audacious of you to say." And so quite a few people showed up actually just to see. Well, this guy's claiming he's going to preach the greatest sermon ever preached. And he got up and he read Matthew five through seven, and he sat back down. Like there you go, this Jesus Sermon on the Mount, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. That's all he did. Get up and read it and sat back down. It's self-explanatory. So in part of that is Jesus says the following. So I'm in Matthew seven verses three through five, where we're going to start out today. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus has given us this analogy, and you think, sawdust in your eye, that just sounds painful, a plank in your eye, ouch. What's he talking about here? That sounds awful. He's given this analogy because we'll notice a small flaw in somebody else. Somebody else does something wrong. Uh, Maybe they're mean or there's some sin or some flaw in them. And we'll notice that little flaw in them. And somehow we don't see the big issue in ourselves. You know, that's such our nature that Jesus lays out this mentions this in his sermon, says, this is very typical of you. You will notice a tiny flaw in someone else, and you'll totally miss seeing a major flaw in yourself. And not only do we want to notice a flaw in someone else, we tend to want to try to fix it or point it out. Let me let me tell you what's wrong with you. At the, at the same time, we're not seeing what's wrong with ourselves. And Jesus goes as far as to say, you hypocrite, and actually says you're not able to properly see what's going on in someone else if you're not dealing with what's going on in yourself. You won't be able to do it right in the first place. So the title of my message today is The Joy of Self-Awareness. And what do I mean by that, self-awareness? The point of that self-awareness is that not being coy about it or anything, but it's being aware aware of yourself. It's being understanding, honestly, what am I? What am I doing? And honestly, how am I coming across to other people? If you've ever had a situation, I can think of a few in the past, where somebody is kind of hard to get along with. And they they are just known. They are They can be a rude hard person to get along with. And you're in a group of friends, and they start complaining about how rude someone else was. And the rest of the group is going, 
are they kidding? Like, you of all people are complaining about somebody else? Like, what is that? That's a lack of self-awareness. They don't know necessarily that their reputation is their, they're hard to get along with. And they notice someone else, some comment someone else made or something someone else made. I, I can think of those examples, but this message, point of this message is not for it to be for someone else. I use that as an introduction to kind of get us thinking, you know, what does it mean, self-awareness? But this message is for us, not, not the person next to us. It's for me, not the person, not, not the next person in line. So I, I found, this is a story that my parents had told me years ago, and I really thought it was interesting. It really stick, stuck with me. So my grandmother, back in the day, raised poodles. She had lots of different, had several, over the years had several poodles. That was kind of a specialty of hers, to raise these dogs. And one time, one of them had an injury, had some surgery or something. And so this dog has this internal pain. And every time the dog would go and lay down somewhere, it would would hurt. So the dog, what did the dog do? The little poodle got up and tried to move to a different spot. Oh, that still hurts. I'll go over here. No, it still hurts. And would keep going around trying to find a comfortable place to lay down, not having the concept that the pain was internal. A dog doesn't necessarily understand that it has internal organs or internal. It's more of a human thing. The dog just knows, okay, that hurts when I lay over there, so I'm going to go find another spot. And whatever spot they went to, it still hurt. And say, oh, yeah, well, that's that's a dog. They didn't understand that. And it, I do not mean this as a rude comparison, but how many times in our lives do we move from place to place or move from situation to situation, different churches, different workplaces, different relationships? Say, I just can't find a place to be comfortable. Just everything seems to hurt. And do we ever stop and say, what if it's me? What if... What if what if I'm the reason that I keep getting hurt everywhere? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not what's around me. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not what part of the floor I'm trying to lay on. In the case of the dog, what if? What if I'm the one that's hurting on the inside? And this is just why I can't seem to get comfortable anywhere I go. That's a level of self-awareness the dog doesn't have, but we we can. We can realize that. What does that look like? What does this self-awareness look like? If we gen- how do we genuinely treat each other? There's a whole lot in the Bible about how we treat each other. How could I ever remember it all? But the Bible sums it up with you treat other people the way that you want to be treated. It gives us this easy thing to remember. Am I, am I doing that? In my workplace, in my working as unto the Lord. Notice a lot of this is not necessarily new, deep, profound revelation. This is just, are we already doing what we know to do? Are we doing what we already know? So a little insight into what it's like to be, to to preach. 
is if you're really seeking the Lord to give you something, a lot of times he will apply it to you before he has you give it to someone else. So this week, oh, I'm, I keep getting the same message. Okay, this is the message for this week. And then what happens during this week? I start having the Lord say, what about your attitude at work right now? If you saw someone else, if someone else described their feelings the way you've been feeling lately, would you approve of that, of how of your, your attitude about your work? Oh. Like, oh, okay, so this is one of those, you're going to apply it to me before I share it with anybody else things. Okay, Lord, yeah, that, he's right. So I have, to have, I have to start applying, I had to apply this to myself. I have that honest conversation. Am I, am I approaching my work the way that I know I should be? That's one of the things I like to share because I know there there are people that in the in any church that say, "Oh, I'd love to get up and preach because they have they think, oh, that means you get up and you get to get a platform to say whatever you want." And not if you're seeking the Lord. If you're seeking the Lord, He'll give you something and He'll hold you accountable for it before He lets you share it with somebody else. And the reason He does that is so that you are sharing, not preaching at people. So you're not preaching at people, you're sharing with them. That's a very important distinction, difference. What if, my next point on my self-awareness, are we open to the idea that the problems that we might be having with family or friends or in church or in the workplace or whatever it is, are we open to the idea that what if it's me? What if it's not the other person? And I have a, I don't normally do this, but a lot, quite a bit of this message today is going to use some sports analogies, which is comical if you know me and how unathletic I am, but it still works. So there's a saying in sports. You are what your record says you are. What does that mean? That means you can look at a basketball team, football team, whatever team. You can look at them and say, on paper, they look like they'll be a great team. But if they go out and lose, well, something's wrong. Or if they go out and they don't win as much as you think they should, and people will still argue, oh, they're a great team. Okay, well, if, they are, if they're a great team, they'd be winning. That's what it means to say your record, is what, your record says what you really are. You are what your record says you are. And that comes into play in self-awareness because... There are times we will say, well, I, I know what to do in this situation, or this is what we should do, or yes, I had, yeah, let me give you an example. So you may have someone that goes from church to church and says, I have the right formula for so-and-so ministry. And yet you look at their track record in every church, they've, they've jumped from church to church and they have a bad reputation each place and they can argue with you really well that they know what to do or they can argue with you, you should you should be doing what i think you know in this case and then you kind of but you say okay but i know your reputation love the person but you say okay hold on you know they'll come in they may come in and say give me this particular ministry and i'll i'll, I'll do this and make it work but you know 
the last few churches, they've always gotten into some sort of problem with someone and kind of go, okay, I love you, but your record. And they have great reasons every why this happened. I, I just know even from, I'll just say even outside of, I'm, outside of this church, let me say just even in my own friend's family, have, that have nothing to do with this church or anything, that have jumped from church to church to church and said, had a good reason every time they left the place. But as I'm, I sit there and we talk, I, I know what the problem is. It's not each one of those churches. Their, their track record says what it is, what they are. And this message is not to point at them. It's to say any of us can end up in that role. Any of us can end up in that place where somehow we lost track of where we are. Maybe we jump from workplace to workplace to workplace. All these all these places are rotten. And then what if it's our work ethic? What if we're not doing a good job? Or relationship to relationship to relationship, and then somewhere along the line stopped keeping track of what we're doing. It's always someone else's fault. And then realize, and then somewhere along the line, one of the best things that happens to a person is when they say, wait, what if, what if this is me? And when you do that, that's when you can start making positive changes that will break those patterns. You go, I, maybe I'm doing something wrong that keeps breaking these things. And that's that into our flesh, that's painful. But that can be some of the best change. That can be life-changing. That can You can see a person turn things around and really prosper when they're willing to say, let me look at my track record and let me be honest about it. Let me and let me make some changes. Doesn't mean it was all my fault all along. But there's something about the pattern of I way I do things that's causing me trouble again and again. And I don't want to do that anymore. So let me change. There is joy of that. That's the title of the message. Joy of self-awareness. There is joy when God works that in us. So I definitely want to apply it to us individually, but I want to just share my heart this morning as far as our church. And I, I love Wellspring. I've been here from the beginning, back in 2006, down the street at the hotel, when we were meeting every Sunday there, in 2007 in this building, and 15 years now in this building. I, I I love our church, but I've been contemplating lately, if you looked at our track record, positive and negative, but if, you, if we just honestly looked at our track record and we looked at, I'm going to compare it to a football team. I'll compare it to, hey, we probably have some Colts fans in here, at least I am. <laughs> That's okay if you're not. I look at them and I say, I'm going to use them as an analogy because I don't want to insult someone else's team. I use my own, my own team as, an, as a negative analogy. So what's the knock on the Colts? Back-to-back great quarterbacks, but overall underachieved for the quality of back-to-back quarterbacks that they had. He had, he had Peyton Manning, this all-time great 
Did they have success? Yeah, had some good success, but it really felt like there should have been more. And you turn right around, you have Andrew Luck, best prospect in 20 years, comes right out, and he's near the, he takes more hits. He was near the top of taking quarterbacks hit for a couple seasons in a row. He's not even a running quarterback. They just couldn't protect him. And he ends up getting so badly hurt, he can't continue to play. And you, and you look at that and say, they had the most important key position. They had that locked down. They just couldn't get, they just couldn't get enough around their key position to, to be able to really succeed. And I don't know how this will come across, but I'm just going to share my heart with you. I love Wellspring, and I would say very comfortably and very confidently, we have had back-to-back great pastors. Pastor Rod, fantastic. And the, and the way he passed away and what you looked at where this church was, you'd say, well, I don't know if that church is going to make it. What are you going to do? And we turn right around and we, get, and we have Pastor Chad. And God brings him in right when we need it. Somebody fill that position. We got those key quarterback positions locked down. But what are we doing around around them? Have we won some games, had some bright moments? Absolutely. But as a church, having that amount of talent back to back in those in that position, have we really produced the fruit that we'd want to see? Have we really prospered as a church, succeeded? When you got that much you got that much positive going on in that key position, what are we doing around it? And and I love my church, but I feel like I think we should have produced some more fruit by by this point. And the good news though is when you realize that, that's when you can change and move forward. So back when this church was started, the idea was, one of the ideas that we talked about was, there was a term back then called third space. It's not as trendy a term now, but back then it was, a third space environment. The thought being, you have home and you have work, and then what is that third space that you want to come and hang out at? No telling what you got going at home, might be positive or negative, you have to go to work. Well, where's that third space that you actually want to be? And that was the design, the hope for what Wellspring was to be, was to be that third space people want to come and be. And in many ways, we've succeeded, but I think there's more. I think there's more to do with that. And the church vision we have now is is locked in on, on accomplishing that goal that was set back in 06 and 07. Build spaces that build spaces that we want to come and fellowship in. To build spaces that the youth will want to be in, kids will want to be in, and really see that come to fruition. So I want to encourage as much as I can. Encourage the church. Let's let's do that. Let's rally around. We have we have the key positions we need. Let's rally around together and, let, and and move forward and really see that vision really come to fruition. Really think the desire is our church grows 
because we're reaching the lost. We, and it's not, it's not a knock on us. It's a, it's a common thing, especially churches our size. You can sometimes be a circuit church where, where people come through. They move around every few years to different churches and they just, we've had, we've had influxes where we had quite a good sized crowds and then they dwindle and a lot of it's been trading people between churches instead of bringing in the lost and having new growth. And our heart's desire is to have people, the lost come in and have truly organic growth where we're actually expanding the kingdom of God, not just trading pieces and swapping parts with other, other churches. Nothing wrong with that, especially when you've had a lot of churches closed over the last few years and be happy to bring people in. But we really want to stop that, just exchange and actually have real organic growth. And the Bible speaks a lot about us being like trees or bushes, God being like the gardener. He talks about, he prunes, he talks about he expects trees to produce growth. He expects growth or otherwise he'll replace what's not producing. Part of gardening is pruning. Sometimes you cut back a tree or a bush and look, and if someone doesn't know about Gardening, you're just like, what are you doing to that poor bush or that poor tree? You just cut it back so so harshly. You cut it back harshly to help it grow its roots deeper and help it grow and produce better fruit. I've, everything tells me that that's a stage we're in where it's, this is a really important time as a whole church in both locations that we're, we're growing our roots nice and deep. That we're sustaining we need deep root you got to have deep roots roots if you're going to grow branches and produce fruit otherwise you're a weak plant you ever seen a tree uprooted you look at there was a whole lot of tree above the ground and not very good roots underneath and that's the one that falls over we don't want to be that so this is a great time to push in press in make sure we're growing deep roots how are we going to Part of how we're going to do that, though, because what do we desire to get to? That opening part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about the sawdust and the plank and those seeing flaws in other people, I, I tell you, most of the time I've taken that negatively. That's like, oh, you shouldn't be, like you're not supposed to be judging other people. But you put that in context with the rest of Scripture, we want, we're supposed to be and want to be able to help people deal with what's wrong with them. That's a good thing. That's healthy to be able to point out what someone to help, because it says in there that we want to help them get that speck out of their eye. That's something that's wrong. That's something that's irritating. We want to, we want to help them fix that. That's a good desire. But how do we get there? We've got to be willing to let God, deal with the planks in our own eyes if we're going to ever be able to see clearly to help other people. It's a very healthy desire to want to help others, but we've got to be in a place where we know God is working on us or we're not going to be able to help others. What's that look like? I want to focus on two areas. How's God going to, how's God, how is God going to work on us? He's going to work on us through his word. He's going to work on us through the Holy Spirit. 
So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for four things here. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servants of God, so what's the point of it? That the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that desire to be able to help that brother with a speck in their eye, that's a good, that's a good work. That's a good desire. How are we going to get there? We need the word to do these four things for us. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And now what if I just said, what if I just used two of those? What if I just said, uh, hey, I like the teaching part. You know, I, I'll, I'll treat this like a menu. I'll say, I, I want some teaching with a, with a side of training. But that whole rebuking, hold the rebuking, hold the correcting. I don't know about that. That's not, that's not the option he gives us. Teaching and training, yeah, we love that. But he just equally said rebuking and correcting. So that means the word is at times is going to tell us, hey, you're wrong. You need to change. And we need to be open to that. Teaching, we know that. That's telling you something you didn't know. Training, that's includes a, kind of a, a practice of it, getting tested in it. But that rebuking is saying, you're wrong, stop doing that. And correcting is saying, here's the track you need to be on. I mean, let me move you over. Like, okay, maybe you're close, but we'll correct you some. And those, those two, ah, we don't like those as much. Well, a lot more open to those training and rebuke, training and teaching. We need to be open to all of that, willing that the Lord will show us those things. And I'll tell you, I un- I understand if you hear this and you say it's hard for me to face my flaws because I feel so bad about myself. If I do, I feel for you. I understand. I I, I consider it kind of like a scale. And people kind of fall on this type of scale. They either kind of think I'm I'm really good, and I don't want you to tell me I don't want to see anything negative about myself, or I'm really bad. I can't handle seeing negative things about myself. In both instances, what we need to realize is that our self worth comes from God, and when you can get stable in that then God can say, okay, I'll show you what's wrong with you now, and now you can handle it because of the security of his grace and his love. And that that holds you steady, and then you can deal with the things, and we never leave that spot of his grace and his love. That is our self-worth. That is what we, that keeps us stable, anchored, and he can work on us from there. Keeps us from getting, realizing our reliance on that. Keeps us from thinking that we're too good. And rely on that. Keeps us from thinking that we're so bad I can't handle seeing the truth. Both of those extremes lead us astray where we don't want the truth. But when we're secure in his love, his grace, we can handle. start handling that truth. Let's look at John 16 because when I'm saying about that not being able to handle 
something in John 16, verses 12 and 13. He's, he's telling them about the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing that we need. We need the Word. We also need the Holy Spirit. If we just have the Word, we can become very academic scholars. We can get very prideful of our knowledge of the Word. I worked at a seminary for a long time. I've encountered... I know I've seen what it looks like when someone gets so scholarly that they can't that they can't seem to feel God convicting them anymore. It's a scary place to be. So yes, definitely need the word, but need the Holy Spirit speaking to us too. So in John sixteen he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That is such a reality to me. If God told us everything that we needed to know, especially if he told us everything that's wrong with us, would just overwhelm us. Be like, yep, I'm giving up. I'm done. He doesn't do that. In his grace and his mercy, he works on us over a period of time, over our entire lifetime. We were just talking about this. I was at a another men's group on Thursday night, and we're talking to kind of a young believer, trying to kind of coach him a little bit. And he's struggling with, why am I still struggling with sin way that I am and just kind of explaining to him, not excusing the sin, but we've got to explain to you any point that that you die and you stand before God, whatever time that is, you're going to not be perfect. God's grace has to be what makes us perfect because in this life we will never be perfect on our own. Any point that we pass away and stand before God, we're going to die in a state of not being perfect. But we're saved by his grace. That's very reassuring. Because if you don't have that, then there's that fear of what if? Am I good enough at this point? What if something happens to me and I'm, I don't feel like I'm good enough? At any point that this life ends, you won't be good enough, air quotes, for those listening to the audio of this. I'm making air quotes. You won't be good enough. But that's why we're relying on his grace. That's why we're relying on that. John 16 goes on to say, so he says in verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So he's going to tell us the truth about ourselves. Whether we want to listen or not is up to us, but he's going to tell us the truth about ourselves if we're willing to listen. I'm thankful for that because the best growth I've seen in my life has been those times where I've complained to God about something or someone and he gives me some truth. He says, this is how you need to change. Like, God, I was talking about somebody else. I'm like, no, this is how you need to change. This is what you need to do with this situation. I've allowed this situation to show you what you need to learn. Oh, okay. And I want to make sure I make a point about this because there is our own internal voice in our head. And there is a difference between the two. The Holy Spirit 
does not speak condemnation. He does speak conviction. He does speak correction. Absolutely. But Holy Spirit is not the one that tears us down so badly we want to give up. That's us. That's us that speaks to ourselves and says, you're, you're so worthless, I just want to give up. No, the Holy Spirit, it will. I have had the Holy Spirit, I can't even describe it really, I've had the Holy Spirit show me something, I'm going, and yet there's this underlying joy of, I'm showing this to you because I love you, and you can we can work through this together. And I don't know how to describe that exactly, but it is so different from the internal voice in me that says, you're a failure and you're always going to fail at this. And the Spirit says, I'm going to show you something. And sometimes what he shows me is worse than what I was afraid of. But he does it in such a way that it's there's hope right along with it. Yeah, here's the reality about yourself. And I'll walk you right through it the whole way. Just got to be willing to listen. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up in Matthew chapter 7. You know the verse right before where I started reading? So I started reading in verse 3 of chapter 7. But you jump up to verse 2. It says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know what that tells me? That tells me I might want to be a little careful on how I how I measure and judge other people, because that that measuring that same measuring stick is coming back at me. So, do I want to be gracious to other people? Well, how gracious do I want God to be to me? Kind of depends on that, doesn't it? If I realize that I need God's grace, I'm going to want to show grace to other people. I need God's patience, I'm going to want to show patience to other people. I'm going to want to make sure I'm using the measuring stick that I want used on me, because that's what he says. I want us, and I'm going to encourage it, so this is the challenge today. I want us all to be in a place where we can help other people deal with their sins, their flaws. But if we are not in a place where God's dealing with, with ours he calls in verse 5 he calls that being a hypocrite that's a strong word to use I don't want to be hypocrite I definitely don't want Jesus calling me a hypocrite that's that's painful and he gives this analogy of not not that there's a speck of dust in somebody else's eye and a speck of dust in ours he said no there's a speck of dust in someone else's eye and there's a plank in yours much larger So the majority, the approach then is the majority of correction should be him correcting us. And then there's a a little bit of us correcting someone else, comparatively. So we need to be in a state where we're fully getting, where we're getting a lot of correction from him and giving out some correction to others. And if that's out of balance or that's not happening, he tells us a couple things. He calls us a hypocrite, and he says, you're not able to see clearly to do that. I, I get, and this is a little personal thing, I get a little concerned when I have, 
over the years you have some somebody and they seems like the they over, they're always claiming the Holy Spirit's telling them uh, all these things wrong with everybody else and they never seem it never seems to be coming back at them and that makes uh, makes you uncomfortable you start going wait a second what, what are you hearing are you just hearing your own negative opinions of other people or are you are you hearing the Lord speak to you too and correct you too? So let's make sure we're not doing this. Let's make sure the majority of the correction is coming from God to us and a little bit out to each to our brothers, one another. So let's go ahead and pray. And I want to open this time up for us to have some honest, self-aware reflection. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that we are self-aware to the point we realize how much we need you. We are the ones with the plank in our eyes that need to be removed. We need that kind of level of correction. And then we want to be able to minister to one another, but always keeping it in balance, Lord. Lord, I pray that we as a church, we do live up to the blessing that you've already given us. You've given us the key, that key quarterback position, that position. We, we, we've been very blessed in that key pastoral position, Lord. Pray, help the rest of us be aware and rally around and live up to the desire you have for this church. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let us be willing. Holy Spirit, just... Give us your mirror to look in and, t- and t- talk to us. Tell us, convict us, correct us, teach us, Lord. Make that our lifestyle, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team plays, I'm going to ask that we that we pray, that we have a time we ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Also, Always feel free. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to come up. We're happy to pray over you. We're a praying church. Always feel free to do that. Let's let's worship and pray. message was a little bit hard to deliver. I kind of wanted to, I kept shying away from it like all week, wanting something maybe a little easier to preach or happier to share or something, but just kept, Lord kept bringing me back to this. So I hope this has the impact that uh, I know the Lord wants it to have and it applies to all of us. It's not meant to be a harsh message. I just, I do believe it's an important one.